0: Well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Really, it's good to see you. I'm so sorry that Barry White left the building last week. If, if you were here, you know what I'm referring to. Thank you for your, your well wishes. I arrived, those of you who weren't here, I arrived last Sunday morning with Barry White's deep bass voice because of a cold and a cough. I've already surprised some of you this morning by shaking your hand. You looked at me very timidly and fearfully that I was giving you something. No, I'm, I'm better now, so I could do that now. So few of you have asked me how I'm doing this morning. Also, I, I've been asked about the, the title for this series, Christmas Shopping. You guys have called me out couple of you have seen it, that t- tends to not be something you folks are hesitant to do. And uh, so, I guess, thank you. But on this one, it was, in fact, one guy put it succinctly, he says, this Christmas shopping thing, uh, isn't Christmas shopping supposed to be for other people? But it sounds like this series is about Christmas shopping for ourselves. That's what you're conveying, and uh, you know what? It, all right, he, he says, well, but that's not Christmas shopping. Are you kidding me? Who here has has shopped for themselves for Christmas? See, there you go. I mean, we 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 we, we get our own presents sometimes. Actually, I, I I think I told you guys maybe it was a couple of years ago, but it, about the, the this grandmother I read about. and She was the premier gift giver for all of her, her friends and her family, and she had tons of kids and grandkids and friends. And she would spend the entire fall, really, shopping very specifically for unique gifts for each person, dozens of gifts. And one fall she was dealing with some health issues, some other challenges. and. All of a sudden it's December, she, she said, I just can't do it this year because if I do it for one, I got to do it for everybody. So she thought, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to, I'll, I'll bless them with a check. So she wrote checks, very generous checks actually, to all of her friend and, and family. And then got nice cards and, put, and, and, and wrote inside the card, buy your own present this year. And uh, she sealed them up, addressed them, mailed them off to her whole family. She didn't hear anything from anyone. And she was a little surprised at that because the check was significant that she had written to each of them. And after the holidays, she was cleaning her desk and she found with a rubber band around them the stack of checks that she had written to everyone. So what had happened is that she had failed to put the checks in each envelope. So she had put those cards in the envelope and sealed them up. And so all of her friends and family opened up that card and it's — there's nothing in it other than the statement, buy your own present this year. (laughs) So, that's what we're doing here. Buy your own present this year. Do your own (laughs) own Christmas shopping. The whole notion though of Christmas shopping, what we're talking about is what you and I most yearn for and most long for cannot be found in a shopping mall. We're looking for, for life. Our, our vision here as a church is engaging people to be fully alive in Jesus. It's rooted in the Gospel and Jesus saying, I've come, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Have it according to what, how it was originally intended. And we're looking for that life every human being is. And what we're doing is spending some time unpacking the gift, the ultimate gift that God has given us. It's amazing how we've forgotten that the reason we give gifts at Christmas, a primary root of that, origination of that, is to reflect the great gift that we've been given by God through Jesus. And we reflect that with one another. So we're spending some time saying, okay, what is this gift? And how does it relate to what I am ultimately looking for? To guide us along the way, we're looking at a messianic prophecy. It's a fancy term for a prediction about the Messiah. From the moment that the fall, the rebellion happened, to the guard. God promised. He, instead of destroying His creation and starting over, He said, I'm going to redeem and restore what I've made. And He promises a redeemer. And there were prophecies, predictions, hundreds of years before Jesus came about His arrival. And the one that we're, going to, we're spending this month looking at is the first part of Isaiah 61, which is a fantastic, powerful, messianic prophecy written about 700 years before Jesus arrived on the scene as a human being. Uh, so you can turn there if you've got your Bible with you, but I want to give you the background. And we looked at it last week in Luke chapter 4. We're told Jesus, he was about 28, 29 years old, a, a, a young man from Nazareth in Galilee, in the in in what we know as Israel. And he'd gone away for fasting and prayer for 40 days in the wilderness and came back to begin and really launch his public ministry. It was in his hometown, went to a synagogue service. Verse 14, Luke 4, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. And he was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. This was probably liturgical; it was according to their liturgical calendar, probably. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was. It is written. And now Luke gives a summary paraphrase of of this text. I want to read the actual text that Jesus would have unrolled, obviously reading in Hebrew. Let's read it in English. Isaiah 61 verse 1. And this is what we're spending our time on during this series, this Advent series during this month. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted." To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. And to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oils of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they'll be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. Now, after he read that, Luke tells us in verse 20 of Luke 4, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He sat down, which is what a rabbi would have done to begin the sermon, and he said, today you're seeing what has been hoped for for centuries. That day has finally arrived and it's me. Now to some of them, that was blasphemy and heresy and they led him to the outskirts of town to kill him and he slipped away, we're told. But what he was doing was announcing, I've come. And in reading that text, he was announcing the gifts that he was bringing with him. And so we're unpacking those gifts. Now go back to verse 1 of Isaiah 61 and let's, let's look at what we looked at last week that's connected to what we're looking at this week. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Uh, that's not f- fiscal poverty, it's spiritual poverty, spiritual bankruptcy. And he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. That's what we looked at last week. Uh, we go sh- shopping for our heart's ultimate yearnings and we say, Where's the healing? Where's the healing for my broken heart? Well, th- today we're asking a question that's actually connected with that. Where's the freedom? proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Now, these are not different people. These are all the same people. It's just layers. Dr. E.J. Young talks about how the brokenhearted reference is referring to something internally, but that brokenheartedness forms a prison, basically, externally. It changes the way that we live, the way that we go through our journey, proclaiming freedom for the captains and release for darkness for the prisoners. So all of that, it's connected. Now, if you were here last week, you know what this is referring to. The scriptures call us jars of clay because we've been beautifully formed. Also, because we're, we're vulnerable. If you're here last week, you, you, you know the deal. If you weren't, surprise. <laughs> you thought it was going to break. So did I. Um, <laughs> Now we look at that, and it's really fun, it's kind of humorous until you realize, that's me. It happened in a phone call, maybe from an attorney calling on behalf of a spouse or a son or daughter or a doctor with some news of a physical. It's something every human being deals with. And this morning, I wanna pick up where we left off last week and talk about what are the ramifications of this in your journey? Pieces. These pieces of shrapnel provide really the seed bed for prison bars to rise up out of them in a metaphorical way. This text by connecting brokenheartedness and prisoners and being in captivity, is saying that our brokenness produces a prison for us. And the prison bars that come up, look — they look different for all of us at different times, but uh, there's a prison bar called aimlessness that comes out of the shrapnel. There's another prison bar that you could call guilt. When you're here, and the, the bottom's fallen, and you have all of a sudden lost perspective, and all it, it's it, there's aimlessness, there's con- a sense of con- confusion, shame. We're shamed that things have broken. There's restlessness. And along with that confusion comes despair. We have no hope. Is it emptiness? A real sense of aloneness? Every one of these is a a bar to the prison. And then you add to those a sense of superficiality and selfishness. And all of a sudden, we are enclosed in all of these bars that keep us from actually living our lives. So what do we do? Well, we talked last week that we've got a choice. Resignation is the first choice where we just say it's no use. I'm just gonna try to kill the pain or distract myself by being successful in another part of my life. Or we can opt for restoration. What's that look like? And last week, I introduced you to the Japanese art of kintsugi. It's taking bowls, pottery bowls and, that have been broken and repairing them with the resin and gold to the point that it's an art form and the bowl becomes more valuable. The vase becomes more valuable than it was before. But what does that restoration look like in a practical sense on a daily basis? That's what we're looking at today. In one word, it looks like freedom. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter four. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Fragile jars of clay. The reason that this is a treasure It's because we can't get ourselves out of this. We're dependent on Him restoring us. He says. And that restoration happens because it becomes real clear that the surpassing power with which we are rebuilding is from God. It's not from ourselves. So as a result of of God's intervention in our brokenness, we can be hard pressed, but we're not crushed. We can be perplexed — anybody here know what this looks like to be perplexed? But not in despair. Persecuted? Yep. But not abandoned. Struck down? Hmm. But not destroyed. And he and, — and Paul goes on to say, he says, we really on a daily basis, we carry about in our body the results of the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be displayed in our body. We can live as men and women who are being restored. So how does that unpack on a daily basis? There are several experiences, but let me give you three. The the gospel enables us in the midst of experiencing this. How do we transition to this? We can't do it. We allow Him to do it. The Christmas shopping we do, we're actually not purchasing anything. We're being given something that's immensely expensive. But the expense is on God. But how do we embrace it? Three experiences. First, I'm freed to experience value when I'm embracing this gift of freedom, the freedom of the Gospel. What's the what's the, the result of this? Usually it's — we feel like a failure. This could be my sin. It could be somebody else's sin. It could be stupid decisions. It could just be the, the, the an explosion from a fallen world and disease happens, things that you can't trace any particular person, we can trace back to the fall, but bottom line — We wonder if we matter. And you you begin to lose hope. And there's a a waning sense of, does anybody care? Does God care? Most of us think we're raised in this conditional thing of, uh, I have value because I've earned it. Hmm. We have value because we're loved by God. He doesn't love whole pots because there are none. They're all broken. He loves the broken pots, fallen men and women. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, once we got it all together, God loved us. Now." But God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were in the midst of the brokenness, and uh, this brokenness and those prison bars of of aimlessness and guilt and shame and restlessness and confusion and despair that are springing up all around us, and we're thinking, do I matter? We are loved. That that quote that… Schuyler read at the beginning of the service phenomenal statement by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian and pastor who was in prison for being part of assassination to kill Hitler. And he, he actually ended up being killed in that prison camp just days before the Allied forces liberated the camp. But writing to his fiancee saying at Christmas time, he said, Advent. It's a phenomenal time to be in prison because it's a — being in prison is a big time reminder that the prison doors can only be open from the outside. Why did Jesus come to open our prison doors? Because He loved us. Our value is not dependent on getting it all together. Our value is dependent on Him starting this dance that says, you matter to me. You have value. Why does a craftsman in Japan take a pot, take a bowl, and restore it? Because it has value. Now, here's a powerful sense that it it has even more value after it's been restored. Biblically speaking, we don't have more value after it's been restored, but that value that God has of us is more obvious. You look at Paul, he doesn't just talk about this whole notion of God loving us while we're sinners, but as for you, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins, down to verse 4, but, 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 in the midst of all of this, I think there's no way that God still loves me. Yeah, He does. But because of His great love, not just He kind of love, great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace that you've been saved. So let's say this is caused by my sin and my rebellion. Does God say, serves you right? Mm. The beauty of the Gospel of Jesus is summarized in Romans 8.1, it says, therefore, there is no condemnation. What do you think that word in Greek means, no condemnation? You know what it means? Come on, you guys know my Greek skills by now. It means no condemnation. And religious people don't believe this. We don't believe the Gospel. We think, oh yeah, I I know it says that, but I did this. I mean, this is a result of, uh, I I, I messed up. Yeah. But you have value, God says to me. And there is no condemnation. Not because God ignores it, it's because Jesus paid the penalty. He he paid the tab. When He opens that prison door from the outside, it's not a jailbreak. He said, I've served your sentence. You're free. He says, because through Christ, Jesus, the law of the spirit of life, set me free from the law of sin and death. Will I believe that? Will I believe that my status has changed? That even though I might still be in the midst of this, and the restoration process has started but isn't completed, do I think that, man, has got to get completed before I have value? I have as much value now as I will ever have, and it's because I have that value that I can trust that He who began a good work in me, He's going to complete it. He's going to get me restored. He's going to use every one of these pieces. And you know what? While we're going, sure, I might break a couple more and just shatter them. He says, you know what? I got that too. That's why Jesus made such a big deal about freedom. Now he read that prophecy talking about setting the captives free. He also said this in John chapter 8, verse 31, he says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are, you're really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will make you awesomely religious, and be able to impress people with Bible verses. Hmm. The truth will make you free. And he goes on to say in verse 36, and if the sun, so if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Now, here I am in the brokenness with those prison bars that have sprung up from the shrapnel all around me. The door has been opened. I now, my status is changed. I am, I am free. I'm valued, I'm loved. Will I believe it? Steve Brown tells about Abraham Lincoln, and I've I've read several of these kinds of stories. Lincoln, as you know, lived and was our president during one of the most awful times in our nation's history, and the slave market is unspeakable in terms of it being the epitome of our sinfulness. And he did this on several occasions, I've read, but he went to a slave market where there was an auction, horrific place. And he bid for a woman, outbid everyone else, purchased her. I mean, it's hard to even get that word out. And they're walking away from the slave market, and he tells her, he looks to her and says, I want you to know something now, you're free. She says, what are you talking about? He says, I purchased you in order to free you. What? It's very different from what she thought was going to be her future. She says, you you mean I I can say whatever I want to say? He says, yes. She says, you're telling me I can be whoever I want to be? He says, yes, you can be whoever you want to be. Are you telling me I can go wherever I want to go? He says, yes, you may go wherever you want to go. And as the story goes, she looked at him and said, well, then I want to go with you. Not as his slave. She went to be his friend and to work for him. Jesus says, I've freed you. And we're told in Galatians not to let our freedom be a springboard into further rebellion, but to let our freedom be something that's is a springboard for us to embrace our value and intimacy with Him more. To really believe and taste that unconditional love that we'll be looking at more next week. But there's a second experience. First is me grappling with my value right now in the midst of all the rubble, surrounded by these prison bars that have sprung up. But now it comes to a second experience that he's freed me for, that enables me to start tasting this freedom on a daily basis. And it's the gift, not just of me embracing my value, but the the gift of vision. To start seeing this differently. Our eyesight is so important. You know, I am embarrassed to admit, I — I didn't know that much about the eye. But as I've been praying for Vernon, looking up, okay, how's it going and what's happening, I've looked up some of the stuff. I mean, it was long ago. When I was in high school, I was going to be a doctor. Yeah. Then I had a dream one night about somebody in, who had an eye accident and freaked me out. The next morning at breakfast said, I'm not going to be a doctor anymore. I said, what in the world? They'll teach you how to. I said, doesn't matter. It's with the eye. Can't handle it. Just, some people are like that with their eyes. That's me. But I've started reading about it and how delicate our eyes are. I didn't know what a macula was, didn't know what a retina was. I mean, generally, I know where they are, but a detached retina, I didn't understand. But reading through that, how vulnerable our eyesight is, but also how important our eyesight is. But it's not just our physical eyesight. It's what we see in the midst of the rubble in the prison that we've created w- w- with our brokenness. All that… That aimlessness and that guilt and shame and stuff. Go back to the text. Look at what Jesus was quoting in verse 1 again, Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives. And here's the phrase I want you to key on. And release from darkness for the prisoners. Now, the word for release there, the Hebrew word is bakah, it, it means to open the eyes. To open the eyes, to release from darkness. It's referring to eyesight, vision. But this is a... a a, a reduplicated form of the word, and therefore it doubles the meaning in a sense. So it's to wide open the eyes. To proclaim, so Jesus is saying to, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to wide open the eyes of those who are in prison. Why do we need our eyes opened wide? Because when you and I are in the midst of the brokenness, We get tunnel vision, and we don't see anything but the hurt, anything but the confusion, anything but the guilt, the aimlessness, the shame. Anything but the despair. We don't see anything but those. Job in the very beginning of chapter 17 of Job, he says, my spirit is broken, my days are cut short. The grave awaits me. That's how you're feeling in the midst of that. And then he says, my days have passed. My plans are shattered. And so are the desires of my heart. You know what that's like. So do I. I've even experienced, I've experienced that this week even. I don't know what to do with all this brokenness. And with my lack of faith, I basically fertilize those prison bars and the confusion grows and the restlessness grows and the despair grows. And I don't see what I need to be seeing. and What I need to be seeing is not just this, but this. My vision needs to be enlarged. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prays something that I prayed for you guys earlier this morning. Some of you are in the midst of something that has shattered. So let me pray this for you. I keep asking, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. In the midst of this, he said, but I also pray this, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So yes, our physical eyes are, are beautiful and intricate and important, but also delicate. So are the eyes of our heart. I Pray that God will do surgery on your eyes. in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you and the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people and His incomparably great power for us who believe. I pray that you'll be able to see there's freedom in vision, that you'll receive His vision which frees our heart and enables us to enlarge our perspective, to to engage with the hope of our calling. By the way, Christmas Eve, we're gonna spend a lot of time talking about hope. But also the surpassing greatness of His power. You know, Paul said, we treasure — these are — this is a treasure, this being a jar of clay, because it shows that the surpassing greatness of the power is God's, not ours. You know what, the — the more the pieces, the more opportunity for — for God to show up and say, it's, it's me. This is beyond your ability to repair. I've been reading a lot of Eugene Peterson these last few weeks. He's a gentleman I've told you before, mentored me uh, mainly through the page, although I did have a, a couple of opportunities to spend with him at his home and another person's home. But I ran across this quote this this past week. He says, the root meaning in Hebrew of salvation is to be broad, to become spacious, to enlarge. Right here things are real small, tunnel vision, myopic, only see right here in salvation broadens us, enlarges our our vision. It carries the sense of deliverance from an experience that has become compressed and confined and cramped. That sound familiar? You're going through a shattered time, it's all you see, it's all you think about. Salvation is the plot of history, it's the most comprehensive theme of Scripture, overtaking and surpassing catastrophe. Yes, catastrophe has happened, but the beauty of the Gospel is that salvation has happened. We say, this is no place to celebrate Christmas. We're haunted by the happy carols and the tinsel and the Christmas cookies. Let me tell you something, and even this past week, we've had people in our own midst that have succumbed to that, that deep depression and discouragement, and may I say this, this This is the place to celebrate Christmas. This is where we all are. This is the beauty of Christmas, because this is why He came. And He came to to free us by understanding our value, but also giving us vision. Vision for something big. He goes on to say, salvation is God's determination to rescue His creation. It's His activity. and." Recovering the world. So as the eyes of my heart are enlightened as Paul prayed for the Ephesians, as I've just prayed for you, I hope you'll pray for me. What does that do? What happens? Well, those prison bars that have sprung up out of the fertilizer of my brokenness, I start looking past them to the wide open pastures of freedom. So instead of aimlessness, I look past that prison bar of aimlessness and I I see purpose. Instead of that prison bar of guilt, I look past it and I, I, I see forgiveness. That prison bar of shame, I look past it and see God's acceptance of me. That prison bar of restlessness, I look past it and I see shalom. That prison bar of confusion, I look past, I see illumination that can only come from the Word of God illuminating my path. That prison bar of despair, I look past it and I see hope. That prison bar of emptiness, I look past it and I, I see completeness. Prison bar of aloneness, I look past and I see love which we'll be looking at next week. That prison bar of superficiality in which I'm tempted to not deal with the depth of the pain and just kill kill the pain or distract myself from the pain. I start moving into a significant engagement with my journey instead of a selfishness and inwardness that's only focused on my pain, I start becoming aware of service, of God wanting to use me. Remember Jesus at the end of that, verse 3 in Isaiah 61, He says, I'm doing all this for the display of the Lord's splendor. He says, that's what Paul is saying. Our treasure is that we can display His splendor by showing that the surpassing greatness of the powers, God's, it's — it's not ours. Paul wrote to Timothy. About vessels in a home, he says, Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, he says, In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. He says there are a lot of pots, some are beautiful gold silver, some are clay, but it's better to be a clay pot that's submitting to God and experiencing the freedom than a dirty rebellious gold or silver pot. Because when you're letting God use you, you can be restored to the purpose you're made for. You see this pot? This vase can fulfill the original purpose that it was made for and it can actually do it better than before. because. It's it's showing the surpassing greatness that God's able. But that fulfilling of my original purpose leads to a third experience of freedom. It's not just experiencing His value and being free to, to experience value not just being free to experience vision and to see past this and this, past those prison bars to what the gospel gives. But the third, I'm I'm free to experience vibrancy. Vibrancy is the fulfillment of what I'm originally made to do. It's getting back on the dance floor of life and not sitting out the next song saying, you know what? I don't have to get it all together to go dance. I can dance because I'm valued by God. He's given me a vision of what he's up to and I'm going to experience that Yes, with a limp. Yes, he's not got all the pieces put back together again, but to experience that vibrancy on a daily basis. That word vibrancy, if you've been here for a few months, you've heard it before. We've been talking about being fully alive. That's our vision, engaging people to be fully alive in Jesus, and one of the things that we looked at is John chapter 20, verse 31, where John says, let me tell you why I wrote my gospel. In verse 31, he says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I looked at part A and part B of that. Part A is orthodoxy. We've got to have the orthodoxy in place, the right belief and understanding of what the scriptures say. But it's not just getting uh, the right belief down in terms of our doctrinal statements and who Jesus is. It's engaging with the so what. And the so what is what he says in the second half of that verse. And that by believing you may have vibrancy. You may have life in his name. It's not a matter of me just saying, "Uh, well, yeah, I believe that Jesus is who he is. It's embracing it to such a degree that it enables me to start experiencing the original purpose that I'm made for. It's it's what Jesus is referring to when he talks about freedom. It's what Paul is referring to when he talks about freedom. Uh, in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, he says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. John Stott asked the question years ago, if a fish is meant for water, what are you meant for as a human being? It's a great question. Fish is meant for Water. What are you meant for? What are you meant for? What am I meant for? What is the original purpose that I'm made for? And the more that I'm learning to walk in that and say, I'm being freed up. This does not define me. I am freed up to be restored in the original purpose that I'm made for. What will that look like? It looks like being fully alive. It looks like living with a sense of awe and worship on a daily basis. Engaging authentically with my brokenness, not running from it. Understanding that I'm an image bearer of God that's created in His image and therefore I am creative. not just artists, it, though you can make a case we 're all artists we 're all creatives, we create in our vocation and our relationships there 's a depth to who we are that 's what it looks like to be vibrant and fully alive. depth in terms of our engagement with the scripture, our engagement with our journey, our engagement with laughter, our engagement in the relationships we engage in service in relationships it 's not just about us it 's about us serving other people it 's not just selfishness but it 's being launched in, into service. We have community, friends become family, generosity. We don't experience those things here. My heart's engaged. There's deep intimacy with the Father. I engage my journey, but right here instead of an awe, I just am no longer worshiping. I'm running from the brokenness. I'm not being creative. I'm not going deep, understanding the gospel. I'm not engaging with anyone else. I'm not engaging in community. I'm not being generous. My heart is shriveled. I'm not being intimate with the Father. He says, Be free. You don't have to get it all together. Let Him do that. Go live. Live in the hope of the gospel. Ephesians 3 verse 12, in Jesus and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Galatians 5 verse 1, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. I just think that's a, that's a hilarious statement. It's a powerful one. He says, stand firm then, them and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And that's, that's to religious people. The gospel is not meant to make me religious, but to make me fully alive to the glory of God. As a broken man, as a broken woman. Galatians 5.13, you, my brothers, were called to be free. First Peter chapter 2, verse 16, live as free people. You picking up a theme there? Hmm. Here's the beauty of who we are in Northland. We're a bunch of clay pots but we're becoming something. And we've been free to become something. Back when my middle son, Joel, graduated from high school, took him on a senior trip to Europe and he was going to a Bible school over there starting in September. We went a couple of weeks early and spent some time in Italy, just him and me. We're in Florence and we went to the the Galleria uh, uh, dell'Academia, the academy gallery. It's where the famous statue of David is. Michelangelo's colossal David statue, 17-foot high, took him three years to fashion. It's exquisite and powerful. But you go into that hall, and what you're captured by is on either side four other statues that are incomplete. They call them the, the four prisoners. They were discovered after Michelangelo's death. This is in the 16th century. They were going to be what David ended up being. But He never finished them for some other reason. And they give the image of trying to wrestle free from the stone. And Joel and I spent some time after being in there, we went to a little restaurant and started talking about the man that He's becoming. The man that Jesus is fashioning. is not there yet. It's not there yet with me. There's still some fragments. But we're getting there. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank You for the freedom that sets us free. We all know what it means to be enslaved by our pain. May You give us the courage in the midst of that to believe the Gospel and to be able to relate with You and dance before the process has been Fully completed. May we see ourselves in those four statues unfinished by by Michelangelo, but but also may we see you not in Michelangelo, but see you for who you are and realize that you haven't died and you haven't stopped. And we're told very unequivocally that you who began a good work in us, you will complete it. And you will take every fragment on the floor of our lives and bring something good out of those things that are even evil. And at this Christmas may we celebrate more deeply and richly because of the freedom, the gift of freedom that you came to give us. I pray this in the name of our liberator, our creator, our restorer, our author and our finisher. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together, celebrate this one song, then I'm going to give you the good word.